Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and with me are Devinder Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Uh, today on this episode of the Slash Filmcast, boy, have we got a great show in store for you. We're going to talk about a couple of quick film news items, an email from the slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Moving on to some what we've been watching. Uh, I think we got some time for some weekly plugs today, and we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Tenet, the new Christopher Nolan film that just hit video on demand slash home video. Uh, you can finally watch Tenet without risking your life and getting coronavirus. Uh, it is very exciting, and we're happy to talk about it with you today with an awesome guest, Dan Merle, formerly of Screen Junkies. He now has his own YouTube channel. I'm a huge fan of Dan. And not only that, we got a, we got a special Dan twofer this week. Dan Merle is going to be joining us to talk about not only Tenet, but there's going to be a special After Dark episode with Dan and Devendra about The Mandalorian Season 2. Uh, this is something a few fans have been asking for, so uh, I am excited about that as well. So that's what we got in store for you on the Slash Filmcast this week. After Darks, Dave, how do people get those? Great question, Jeff Kanata. Patreon.com slash filmpodcast. That's patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Now, uh, people can get after Dark's for free through the end of the year on the main feed, but starting in 2021, patreon.com slash film podcast is going to be the only way you can get After Dark's in a timely fashion each week when we record them. So be sure to check that out at patreon.com slash film podcast. Thanks so much to the over 1,100 people who have become patrons over at patreon.com slash film podcast. Y'all are awesome. And uh, it has been a balm this year. Uh, to have people who are supporting what we do and making sure we can keep doing it long in the future. Again, thanks to everyone at patreon.com slash film podcast. I want to read this email we got, uh, uh, a person named Charlie writing into slash from guests at gmail.com. Charlie has been listening to the podcast for a few weeks, uh, at least. I mean, pr- I-, I assume longer. And I hope, uh, yeah. he. <laughs> but, but, but more specifically, he's been listening to like us talk about the future of Uh, the industry over the last few weeks. Charlie writes in as follows. Quote, hello from Melbourne, Australia, where we have been COVID free for 49 days. I've just been listening to episode 596 while doing the dishes after putting the kids to bed. And I felt compelled to email you about your thoughts on the death of cinema and the world changing forever because of COVID. While I agree this may be true in some ways, I thought I'd share my experience living in Melbourne after being 49 days COVID free. We spent most of the year in lockdown and our second wave led to what we call stage four restrictions. Only essential businesses allowed to open apart from those who can work at home. Mandatory mask wearing anywhere outside your home with large fines. We were only allowed to leave the house for one hour a day of exercise and only within a five kilometer radius from home with a $1,200 equivalent fine for the breach. No more than two people allowed to walk together unless a family with kids. Schools closed, daycare closed, not allowed to have anyone at your house, etc. And this particular lockdown went for around 115 days. It was brutal. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and went through all the emotions daily. I know you guys have been through hell. I'm just giving you context. So during this time, I heard a lot of people say life will never be the same. However, when restrictions relaxed and we got to zero new cases for a few weeks, then restrictions were relaxed almost all the way. And after 49 days, everything could not be more normal. I was in a crowded bar last weekend watching a live band, no masks, no social distancing. 
People are shaking hands again, hugging hello. Shopping malls are thriving with Christmas shoppers. And the only thing different is compulsory masks inside. And movie cinemas are back to business as usual with slightly reduced numbers and mandatory mask wearing. A new 15-screen cinema complex in an old prison just opened up. And I'm going this weekend to my uh, to my first movie since February. There is no fear, no weirdness. Life just feels back to normal here. And everyone went back to their old behavior very quickly like COVID never happened. You might be thinking we're mad, but I promise you, I was incredibly strict through COVID. We all were. I never saw anyone without a mask. Everyone took it seriously. There were a small percentage of morons protesting, but the vast majority took it on. It's just hard to be nervous when there hasn't been a positive test result in 49 days and an average of 10,000 plus people are being tested daily. When I say normal, we know the world is not normal and worry for the many countries not going well. But it's hard not just to resume normality again. And I strongly believe with a successful vaccine and COVID being largely eradicated, you guys will see the same happen there. And as long as there is money to be made charging people to see movies, you guys said yourselves that studios make many, many more times on a film in theaters and streaming, then cinemas will surely reopen. Vinyl is not a fair comparison. It's different. Everyone loves going to the movies. Doesn't matter your politics, your taste, your interests, your background. Anywhere in the world you go, in every culture, going to movies is a thing. It's here to stay. I'll be amazed you read this far, but it feels good to at least write this to you. Love the show. It's been my favorite podcast for many years. Thanks, Charlie. Love it. Love it. Meanwhile, here in Los Angeles County, I think the the new statistic is one in 50 people is contagious actively. Yep. One in one in 50. I think, um, you know, if if everybody was taking it seriously, like they had to in Melbourne, like I would feel a lot better coming out of lockdown with no cases. Right. But it's more like it is sustained madness over here and leadership. The people in charge have done nothing. And every, it's like a madhouse otherwise, like for everybody making up rules for themselves. So it's probably going to be a while. But I do think like once the vaccine hits and once like there's enough immunity out there, I, I think things are going to go right back to normal because that's what we desire. That's what we want. <laughs> that's all we want right now as humans. My uh, sister-in-law already has the vaccine. She's, she's had it administered. Nice. She's a frontline worker, but uh, she, uh, yeah, she took it already. Very nice. I largely don't use Facebook anymore. I think the site is almost unusable. It's garbage. Um, but I will say one nice thing has been logging on to Facebook every now and then and seeing somebody I used to know in high school getting the vaccine because they're now a frontline healthcare worker. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, that is basically the only thing I go to Facebook for now is like, and and honestly, when I see someone I know or anyone get the vaccine, my reaction is, well, at least we could give them this, you know, like mm. the the country royally effed this entire process up. At least we could give them this. Um, and it's just it's nice and heartwarming. And um, um, uh, it's nice to see. And I, it is I, kind I, of I, the I, best outcome of this whole shitty situation. Right. Is that uh, unprecedented that we have a working two working vaccines and hopefully more incoming. Right. It turns out when the entirety of humanity is dedicated to solving a single problem, mm-hmm. that sometimes we can pull it off. Yeah. Sometimes Let's we go can. back to burning fossil fuels, everybody. Woo! If you've read any of the, the wonderful things online describing in detail mm-hmm. how the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine in particular, works and how it was developed, yeah. it's fucking badass dude science fiction yeah it's badass i mean it's straight up like a triumph of of human ingenuity you know and and like how it works is so cool and 
anybody anybody listening that has even the slightest shred of of fear about taking the vaccine needs to read up about how it works because there is nothing to fear about it. It is uh, there is no chance of getting COVID from it. They're not injecting you with a little bit of COVID. It doesn't work like that at all. It is fascinating. I highly, highly recommend it. There's a number of wonderful uh, mm-hmm. articles and even like Twitter threads you could read uh, that just succinctly describe how it was designed and what it does and why it was designed so quickly. It's because it's based on technology that we've been using for many years. Really cool stuff. All right. Well, Jeff, my question, I guess, is, you know, you've been uh, bearish on the future of the entertainment industry. And (laughs) I saw this email come in from Charlie and I was like, this is a lovely email. Like when you hear that email, do you feel different at all? Or do you feel like, nope, it's still bad? Hey, man, I'm not I'm hopeful. I I remain hopeful. I'm not trying to um, I, I don't I wouldn't feel it's a victory if it turned out to be all doom and gloom just because, you know, I I have predicted that in some sense. Um, I, I want it all to go back to normal. I want a flip to a switch to be flipped and, uh, us magically go back to the world, you know, in 2019 or let's say, how about 2016? I like that. I like that world <laughs> early 2016. Um, but, uh, you know, it just, it feels to me that there is too much behavior that has been changed, at least in this country already. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, it remains to be seen, but I, I'm hopeful. I mean, I'd love that. I'd love that, um, that vision of Australia to make its way here. I mm-hmm. suspect we'll have a rockier road to that if we get to it at all. I believe they had more government support and supporting businesses. And that's the big problem, right? We can't go back to normal if everything is shut down, if restaurants are gone, if movie theaters are all dead. Um, but I guess like maybe there's a chance that won't be the thing, right? Well, I guess the new the COVID bill that just passed, I mean, literally, as we're recording it, it got passed by Congress. It now goes to President Trump to sign. But I guess it has earmarked uh, like one point four billion for movie theaters and live venues. Uh, So who knows how that money will be appropriated? But yeah, yeah, it's it's I mean, there's a lot of pork in this bill. It's the chains are the chains are still dead. I think like Regal's already gone. AMC is close to gone. Like, yeah things will come back in some other way probably um yeah uh, unfortunately the the 15 billion in grants that were earmarked for independent movie theaters and live venues for music or stage performances appear to disqualify the three largest players in the domestic movie theater business specifically amc cinemark (laughs) and regal cinema's owner cineworld Sorry, guys. Um, the the bill stipulates that any I'm reading from Hollywood Reporter right now. The bill stipulates that any eligible venue must have seen its rev- revenue decline by at least 25 percent this year. Uh, and there are a number of disqualifiers that will limit what movie theater operators or live venues are eligible for uh, uh, for the grants. Um, so uh, the the owner of the venue cannot appear in more than two of the following categories: publicly traded, operated in more than one country or in more than 10 U.S. states, have more than 500 full-time employees, or have received at least 10% of its revenue from government sources. Hmm. So good. That, that basically takes out all the big theater chains, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I mean, still- it's fortunate for the mom and pops, you know, the, the independent theaters. I think that's actually, you know, good that there's money waiting for them. That's positive. I hope so. I hope so. Like, like anything that's happened with money going out, it just feels like somehow it gets sent to people who don't need it at all. Yeah. All right, let's move on to what we've been watching this week. Um, so I want to talk about a movie called Greenland. Yeah. Have you heard about this movie called Greenland? I, I have. 
Was it Greenland or Greenland? I don't know, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> the movie didn't make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it about the country or the? Is yes. it about Green? Okay, yes. well, yeah, it's, it's Greenland. Kinda, it's, it, I, I will say the title is kind of a spoiler for the movie. Um, so basically, <laughs> I'll, I'll read the, I'm going to read the plot summary of Greenland, okay? John Garrity, played by Gerard Butler, and his of estranged course. wife, played by Marina Baccarin, uh, and their young son embark on a perilous journey to find sanctuary as a planet-killing comet hurtles towards Earth. This movie looks awesome. Just have to say. <laughs> I cannot wait to see this. Uh, and the reason it's called Greenland, by the way, is... I'm just going to give away the, the meaning of the title. Is And it, this is in the trailer. Is it's in the trailer, yeah. There is There are bunkers <laughs> underneath Greenland that will theoretically protect you from, uh, from the comet blast. And I will say this is a decent. So, I, first of all, why did I watch Greenland? Well, I uh, because we, you we love Geostorm and you need a first, signal. Yeah. First of all, yeah. First of all, who has who exactly has fallen in this movie? Somebody it's has good, fallen, right? It, the planet, it's a good question. The, the director Rick Roman Wow directed the Fallen series uh, ah. of films. Um, so you're somebody not somebody has uh, to have fallen, right? Earth has fallen. Earth, yeah. Mm, yeah. And this Earth, comet. Earth has fallen. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the director, uh, he didn't direct the uh, Has Fallen series, I should say. He directed Angel Has Fallen, the mm-hmm. uh, most recent one, which I actually, uh, uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. Is, is it, yeah, yeah, it is the most recent one. I actually watched that movie and quite enjoyed it. Okay. I thought it was a solid kind of B-movie action. Uh, so I, I actually quite enjoyed Angel Has Fallen. Um, is this the same tenor as those movies or have we moved into something a little more self-serious? It's a little bit self-serious. Here's what I'm going to say. Uh, so why did I watch Greenland is because we were all sitting around uh, deciding to figure out, like, in, as the bubble. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, for those who don't know, I'm in a COVID bubble, me and my wife and one other person. Um, I like that the we, bubble refers to itself yeah. in the yeah, third yeah. person as the bubble. Yeah. What, the bubble what does the was, bubble want? The bubble, <laughs> the bubble desired movie entertainment, and the bubble had to dis, had to choose yes. which movie. The, the bubble desired entertainment, and the desi- the bubble gets what it desires. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we debated heavily which movie we should watch. Uh, but it's like I have all these like screeners for end of year like awards movies and. Um, I have screeners for movies like Soul and Wonder Woman, and it's like it's gonna be Greenland, <laughs> you know, because sometimes you just want to watch Gerard Butler try to save his family during an end of world scenario. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And I would say the movie is okay. I'd give it like a three and a half stars out of five. You know, it's uh, <laughs> here's what I'm gonna say about Greenland is it has some pretty creative scenarios for it like seems cool, yeah, for like what people are gonna get like like what this family might encounter and how they're going to get at, like h- how they would deal with that situation. Um, this is one of those $20 early access rentals, right? Yes. And that really kills me, Jeff, because also, by the way, apparently, apparently Greenland, I didn't even know this when I paid $20 to rent Greenland, but apparently it will play on HBO max and Amazon prime later this year. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that sounds like that's it, when I'm watching it. <laughs> if you can resist the siren call of Greenland for mm-hmm. even, a couple months, you will be able to watch it if you subscribe to HBO Max or Prime Video. But I'll say, yeah, um, you know, Gerard Butler, in my opinion, you know, like I, I find him compellingly watchable. See Law Abiding Citizens, see Den of Thieves, right? Like this is a guy sure. who I still quite enjoy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just wants to save his family. You know, that's his whole thing. It's one of those movies where 
you know, like in the process of trying to uh, escape the disaster, you're also making your personal life better. You know what I mean? Mm, sure. uh, movies like uh, Die Hard, kind of same thing, right? Like yeah. he's trying to stop the sausage situation and also repair his relationship with his wife. See, you know? see also the Dwayne Johnson oeuvre. Yes. Yeah. Every skyscraper. Every mm-hmm. skyscraper. Great example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I would say uh, like this movie had like what a 76% Rotten Tomatoes, something like very, very positive. And I was really, really positive reviews of this yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Bilga Ibiri over at Vulture gave it a great review. I will say that I did not love it, um, but it was not a waste of time. It was just like, hey, this is a solid disaster film. And it's better not, than Geostorm. That's all I need to I, know. I didn't see Geostorm. I heard it was terrible though. But uh, I heard, this is solid. It's not great. It's like maybe a little bit, slightly above average, is how I would describe it. It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Manscaped. You know that 2020 sucked. It's almost the new year though. We're almost ready for the balls to drop. <laughs> the new year new year new balls with our sponsor manscape manscaped is the best in men's below the waist grooming offering precision engineering tools for all your family jewels <laughs> and helping two million men all over the world get rid of the hair where down there if you let yourself go in 2020 while in quarantine manscaped is here for you to reboot and stay clean and shaved in 2021 let 2021 be fun in your down low area manscaped wants to improve your new year and i'm telling you i haven't worn anything that doesn't have an elastic waistband in all of 2020 but i can't wait to get myself into some better looking clothes and get out into the world when we finally can please 2021 manscaped is here to give you a fresh start with their perfect package 3.0 that has all the right tools for the job in your down low area come out of quarantine with clean balls Thanks to the Lawnmower 3.0, this waterproof and skin-safe trimmer will reduce nicks to your two best friends. You know who I'm talking about. Left and right. The third-generation trimmer even has a light to give you the glow-up you need in 2021. It's also time to freshen up down there this new year. You need the Crop Preserver. It's an anti-chaping ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? And for on-the-go freshness, you'll love the Crop Revisor Ball Tone Spray. 2020 was so awful, you gotta make sure your boys are refreshed and ready for new beginnings in 2021. Manscaped even threw in their shed travel bag to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. Speaking of comfort, the Manscaped anti-chaving boxer briefs are also included and are hands down the best underwear you will ever wear. A guy with hairy balls is like the year 2020. Something you don't want to ever experience again. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FILMCAST at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMCAST at manscaped.com. Happy New Year to your down low area. Speaking of movies the bubble wants to watch. Um, <laughs> the bubble rubs its lotion on its skin. As we yeah. must. We must speak of the movies the bubble wants. Uh, my best friend's wedding movie we watched. Uh, our our bubble mate Carter uh, really wants us to kind of watch some of these old rom coms. A couple weeks ago, I talked about You've Got Mail. Mm-hmm. Um, this week it's the holiday, and also I, I really uh, wish you were live streaming this. I want to see you sitting through these movies, Dave. 
Oh, oh, live streaming me watching the movie. Yes, yeah. yes. The um, Holiday, I think, is my wife's favorite movie of all time. It's a good, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's interesting to go back to these movies, uh, romantic comedies, and um, think about how problematic they are in the present mm-hmm. day, you know? Um, and I think that, like, there's some movies, like uh, You've Got Mail and Love Actually, that I would argue are, like, fairly morally reprehensible. And then there's movies like uh, The Holiday, which is just a delight. And yeah. Yeah. I would say My Best Friend's Wedding is uh, fine in terms of the problematic scale if you understand that the movie is told from the perspective of the villain of a romantic comedy. Right. right. Like, okay. Yes. Which it, the, the, the main character, played by Julia Roberts at the height of her powers, is a terrible, terrible human being. Like, just god awful. But that's the and point, right? That's the, Julia, and the yeah, movie yeah. knows that. The movie is not yeah, unaware yes, of that. Correct, yeah. correct. And now, but I think people might be tricked into thinking she's not terrible because Julia Roberts is so likable. But she is, in fact, the worst of humanity. In fact, I think she's even called like scum in the film. Yeah. And she refers to herself as the bad guy. Um, and if you think about it, pretty subversive to uh, have a movie from the perspective of the villain in a romantic comedy. Like the Dermot Mulroney... Cameron Diaz plotline that is like the plot of a romantic comedy these two yeah. crazy cats meet and they fall in love and they decide to get married and it's like oh well that's lovely meanwhile you know existential force comes in from the outside with this amazing hair played by Julia Roberts <laughs> the hair everything. Played by Julia Roberts <laughs> and uh and so I, I did not really find the movie that problematic because it frames the person doing terrible things as a terrible person um so uh, I actually think, and, and I'll also say, Rupert Everett basically uh, steals this film. He is mm-hmm. a complete delight. That was delight. his star turn, wasn't it? That was what. Yeah, it was one of his Rupert first Everett. breakout performances. Yeah, uh, he is absolute delight and uh, w- makes the movie worth watching in and of itself. Like just by with that performance. So, uh, my best friend's wedding, not that problematic, still quite enjoyable. And uh, this ends David Chen's uh, weekly romantic comedy rundown. So, Nin- 1997, <laughs> that movie came wow. out. Wow. Yeah. I will say that the movie begins with Julia Roberts playing a food critic, and uh, the the people like cooking are really nervous. They're like, oh my gosh, I hope she likes this dish. When any food critic worth half her salt uh, would not allow herself to be identified. So the movie gets an F in terms of journalistic mm. principles. You know what I mean? I well, now you're ready for the TV series reboot, Dave. So good luck. Um, um, my body is ready. Okay. Yeah. That's what I've been watching this week. Divin your hardware. What have you been watching this week? Oh, I got to see another round, which is the Thomas Vinterberg movie starring Mads Mikkelsen. It's uh, it has a really fun premise. It's basically like a bunch of middle-aged uh, teachers basically decide to test a theory, an unfounded theory, that uh, humans were born with too low blood alcohol content. So they're like... Uh, <laughs> Why don't, why don't we fix like that? Like basically, a human's ideal state, yeah, is point like zero five blood alcohol content. Two like, drinks, so in. basically. So two what if we yeah. main, what if we work hard to maintain that blood alcohol level at all times? That's the premise uh-huh. of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that Which is. I the also movie. watched some video yeah. on demand, by the way. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, I I really enjoyed this movie, but I also just really I like uh, give me a good Mads Mikkelsen drama right I, I love watching this guy's face and he's worked with Vinterberg before <laughs> um like they did the hunt which is a fantastic film as well i really enjoyed that this movie is really exploring kind of our relationship with alcohol 
too. Like it is very much a middle-aged male drama. Like a lot of these guys feel useless and listless. And, um, you know, they feel like uh, they're like carrying a lot of regret. Uh, Mads has this like um, kind of a rough relationship with his wife because they basically just don't talk to each other. He is a history teacher that's just kind of lost his birth of life. Uh, So he starts drinking. They all start drinking. And all of a sudden their lives seem to be going so much better. Uh, they're they're more engaged with work. They're more present with their family. Um, it is it is really interesting because it does kind of uh, I don't know. I, I don't drink that much, but I have thought about how I drink and you know my relationship to alcohol and things like that. Especially when there are more and more stories coming out saying like you know all this stuff is just cancerous. You know any type of alcohol is actually. It, 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 we know it's poison in your body, but it's actually much worse than we all thought. But we have this very, very well-funded and uh, big business culture around alcohol. And it's specifically looking at it in uh, in Denmark and Europe in general, right? It has a much, I'd say, much more robust drinking culture than America because uh, this movie starts with high school kids doing um, basically a beer run around a lake and they're getting shit-faced. They're vomiting over each other. And uh, the teachers just like say, oh, yeah, you guys do the run. That's fun. Ha 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 ha. You're 16 year old kids getting shit faced. That's uh, in America. That's not allowed. Um, so I, I think it's kind of exploring all these things. I found it to be a really compelling drama and also a really good reflection of, I don't know, real things. Um, guys feel like they're going through in middle age. And I feel like I'm, I'm kind of getting up there. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen's great. I love the supporting cast. And um, I feel like it is is doing so much. And there is a. There is a fun little sequence that you get from Mads Mikkelsen in this movie, too. I won't spoil it too much, but he is a delight in this. Yes. Um, it's a fun movie, there, even though it can't be serious. There is a scene yeah. with Mad, Mads Mikkelsen that I will not reveal anything about yeah. that single-handedly makes this movie worth it. And I mean, there is, I, I wouldn't say just that, but it is fantastic. Yeah, you, you will know which scene we are talking about. When you get to that scene that has Mads Mikkelsen in it, uh, it is an incredible scene that we actually... So I will watch this movie, too, another round. Mm-hmm. Um, with the bubble, and uh, we we actually watched that scene twice when we got to it. So, Again, it's so good. not saying not saying what it is, mm-hmm. but it is amazing. Okay, if you if you um, go read reviews, people will say what it is. So yeah, so sorry. just be careful. A, be careful. Is this a comedy? It is. It is basically a comedy, but it is there. I would say it's a know, dark bad comedy. Happen. Dark comedy. Yeah. Dramedy? Comedy, drama. Dark comedy? It's, yeah, it's a drama. I, I'm dramedy. thinking about maybe watching this tomorrow night, actually, with it the is, wife. I um, think you uh, would get a lot out of it, Jeff. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy it, Jeff. I think you'd enjoy it. But uh, so there's a couple quotes that come to mind mm-hmm. thinking about this movie. Okay, one of them is Homer Simpson. I paraphrased this a few weeks ago, but uh, yep. Homer Simpson. I know at one exactly point says, which quote. Yep. To alcohol. Yep. The cause, the cause of, of and solution to all life's problems, which yes. is basically what this movie's yes. thesis is, as far as I can yeah. tell. <laughs> I was reading an interview with David Fincher about Mank a few weeks ago, and uh, the question that was asked of him at Vulture.com was, to what extent do you see Mankiewicz's story as a cautionary tale? And David Fincher says, I never wanted it to be cautionary. I think it's about alcoholism, both sides of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. A guy mm-hmm. self-immolating and also on the other side, which is that people go, oh my God, he was so much funnier before he got He's off He's so blow. great. Yeah. yeah. It's a little pathetic to watch someone whose wife has to help him out of his clothes but that's also who he was. Sometimes those people are 10 times more brilliant inebriated than they are straight. It's definitely a conflicted view, but it felt more realistic to me, end quote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of what this... Uh, so I'll say, I, I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as you, Devendra. I think because... You don't drink, uh, man. 
I don't drink. I don't drink. At and all. also, yeah. I kind of can't because yeah. I'm one of the uh, East, like one of the forty percent of East Asians who uh, get what's called the Asian flush, where basically there like, are react- ways around that. By the way, like I have a lot of friends who who have it, and they have like the full like antacid and like pre gaming thing. Like there are mm. ways around it, but yeah. Sounds, sounds incredibly so, inconvenient. <laughs> it is, but uh, it turns out alcohol is kind of fun. But there, therein lies the rub, right? That is the problem. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think like I've read reviews from people who drink alcohol or are part of mm-hmm. like alcohol culture, where you know they love wine, they know all the different wines and stuff. And like what I what I read from them is like that this movie captures yeah. kind of the the full experience of alcohol from like its delight its social aspects how it can seemingly make you invincible more powerful smarter your anxiety disappears it's yeah fantastic. exactly like all these things Man, but it can also have bring, a drink right now it sounds yeah. delightful <laughs> but it can also bring about like very very terrible negative uh consequences as well and the movie doesn't shy away from that so Anyway, uh, to to me, it felt like observing another world. Like it's 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 like a window into a world I will never know uh, uh-huh. because I I don't drink. Um, and so uh, I I liked it. I think Thomas Vinterberg is one of the most talented directors alive today. So Fantastic. like, yeah, uh, the entire movie is shot in handheld basically, and there's this kind of rawness to his image uh, that I really appreciate. Um, and so. You know, it's, it's definitely not a bad film or anything. It's just I I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people are saying this is one of the best films of the year. It's yeah. probably not going to be in my top ten just because like <laughs> I I just didn't find it as accessible as other people. I think. So, sure, sure. It, it probably said, will be yeah. for me. I, I will say. And one thing I just want to make clear: like this movie does bring up the idea that what we are ingesting poison. This is crazy. <laughs> this is, but it is. Fun, like we've done, we've done this for thousands of years. Monkeys and animals will find fermented fruit and just have a good time with it because they know it makes them feel good. And I, I feel like this movie tries to explore that too because it is, it is kind of fundamentally insane what we're doing to ourselves too. Like I, I, I understand like the the way it can be a good time, but I don't think we ever really look at ourselves and think about what we're ingesting or what these cultures are providing. I do feel like there's going to be a reckoning in the way that smoking had, um, you know, over the past several decades uh, that that is probably coming here because the science behind alcohol gives you cancer. It is terrifying. Um, It is pretty strong. I feel like that's coming for sugar too. Sadly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, that's another round. It's available on video on demand right now. Uh, Jeff Kanata, what have you watched this week? Well, there's this little thing I and I alone like to mention, and that is the hashtag slash tag, which is one of the most delightful inventions that this year podcast has ever stumbled upon. It is a way for me to learn about what our audience is recommending, and it's a way for you, dear audience member, to also uh, check out what other people are recommending it's fantastic. All you got to do is search for hashtag and then the word slash tag, uh, and you get a, a wealth of crowdsourced recommendations. And it has uh, almost never steered me wrong. That is until this week when I got a, uh, a noticed a hashtag slash tag recommendation from at Jesse Early. And I'm not calling you out, Jesse. Uh, but Jesse wrote, I'm going to recommend the very excellent Mr. Dundee. It was a fun watch and something oh, any fan c- of... Cr- 
Oh my Crocodile God. I thought Dundee you were gonna, amazing. I thought amazing. you were going to say the other film you listed here as like, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, Jeff, I hope we don't fight about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Anyway, uh, I, I, my mom was in town. Um, we went round and round and back and forth about, you know, whether or not to have my mom come to town with, uh, Traveling is, is not recommended, especially here in California. And uh, she drove down. We did the requisite um, uh, isolation beforehand. Uh, and so we ended up, you know, having my mom down. And I wanted something that would be light and fun. And I gave mom a, my mom several options. And uh, we came to uh, this, the very excellent Mr. Dundee. And uh, we made it about 20 minutes into it <laughs> until even my mom tapped out. Uh, the idea behind this is one that I, I think it sounds like a great movie or at least a, you know, m- mildly entertaining movie. And that is, um, it's, it's Paul Hogan who played Crocodile Dundee in the Crocodile Dundee franchise, low those many years ago, uh, playing himself as a, a guy who's known as Mr. Crocodile Dundee, but the dichotomy of how he's just this actor guy and uh, not actually the super macho Australian crocodile Dundee character. And I found out it had uh, John Cleese in it. And uh, there's another really big actor. Oh, um, Chevy Chase. Um, I never got to Chevy Chase uh, or John Cleese, to be quite honest with you. Uh, this movie is <laughs> is real bad. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe there's something oh, later man. on that gets... I will tell you the first big joke of this comedy is... Uh, Paul, Hogan, but, but before we even get to the first, this first joke, by the way, he's been inside a car that is filmed with maybe the worst green screen I've ever seen. Um, and it, it is, I mean, the movie looks very cheap to be brutal about it. Uh, and I'm sure it was fun. I mean, they make a big deal about how Crocodile Dundee, the first Crocodile Dundee was the most successful independent film of all time. It grossed $300 million. It was a complete independent movie. Um, and I suspect that this one was also an independent film, and it it looks very inexpensively made. It it is uh, oof, not not great to look at. Anyway, uh, the first big joke of the movie is he's called in in Los Angeles, goes in to get a meeting with these uh, these executives that want to reboot the Crocodile Dundee franchise, and uh, he is given a you know a, the latte that he can't pronounce. Uh, from the guy who has a beard and a man bun. It's basically the the assistant character from the later seasons of um of um Bojack Horseman. You know, that like that guy, but like real. Um and their their big pitch to him is we want to have you have Crocodile Dundee's son in the movie. And he's like, oh great, who 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 will play Crocodile Dundee's son? And they go, uh, we're thinking the perfect person to do it is Will Smith. And then the joke is, he feels awkward telling them that you can't do that because Will Smith is black. See? And then all these assistants keep calling in other black assistants to be in the room with him. And he feels awkward saying, I can't, we don't want to cast Will Smith because he's black. That's that's the, the joke. Love it. Okay. So that's about the point at which we were like, <laughs> we're turning this it off. It sounds ripe for parody, Jeff. Ripe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, 
I appreciate the hashtag slashback. I, I, I appreciate you, Jesse. Uh, I'm glad that you got some joy out of this. Maybe as it went on, it would have gotten better. But who, Nelly, oh did do not. We, do we need like a denied it. tag? Hashtag slash tag denied. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Yeah, right? yeah, maybe yeah. shouldn't have even mentioned him by name. But I, I think the hashtag slash tag has done very, very well. Uh, but uh, this was a miss. This was one of those. Listen, we we praise the good suggestions. Therefore, <laughs> yes. we must condemn yes. the failures. There must be balance Destroy in the force. Them. There must be balance in the force. I like. I like how you're also lighting this guy up as like being the one, be- like an uninterrupted sort of streak of glory that has never yielded any bad results until now. This one dude. <laughs> Uh, sorry, man. I appreciate I mean, I'm the just suggestion. Gonna put this, I'm just gonna put this out there, Jeff. Like, maybe you shouldn't trust uh, rant, like recommendations from people who you don't know anything Dave, about. Dave, <laughs> what part of it has never failed me before? Do you not understand? <laughs> I'm not saying we haven't gotten plenty of amazing recommendations from this. I'm just saying maybe that it <laughs> maybe that it you know we. we I guess I'm saying I don't want you to expect too much from the hashtag. You know what I'm saying? Like the best it can do is give us a pulse of what our listeners are into. It's true. It's I true. think it's, I think you're, I, I don't think you've ever really believed in it. Like I believe in it. You know, I think it's, a. I, I, for one, <laughs> like our listeners, Dave. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I'm just saying. No, noted. <laughs> noted it, Jeff. Um, okay. So that, that movie, uh, uh, such as it was. Yeah, the very uh, excellent Mr. The Dundee. very excellent not, Mr. Dundee. Not, which did you pay money to rent this? Yes, I did. <laughs> Seven dollars. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. How, that, how is, uh, that is that is what I, I, I like to refer to as the sunk cost mom visit fee. <laughs> I think that's the hashtag slash tag tax. Yeah, that too. It's the hashtag hashtag, uh, the hashtag slash, slash tax. tax. The slash, hashtag slash tax. Yeah. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor. You know, when you throw some bedding on a bunch of different mattresses, they're all going to look the same. And that goes for pillows, too. But peel away the layers. Look at what's inside, and you'll see that they aren't all created equal. And that's what makes every purple pillow and mattress unlike anything you've ever slept on. The purple grid sets the purple mattress apart from every other mattress. It's a patented comfort technology that instantly adapts to your body's natural shape and sleep style. With over 1,800 open-air channels designed to neutralize body heat, Purple provides a cooling effect that other mattresses just can't replicate. And this cutting-edge technology doesn't stop with the mattresses. Every Purple pillow is engineered with the grid for total head and neck support and absolute airflow, so you're always on the cool side of the pillow. Purple's proprietary technology has been innovating comfort for over 15 years. And I, I can tell you, they sent me a little uh, sample of the, of the mattress and pillow thing. It's extraordinary, this tech. You can try every Purple par- product yourself risk-free with free shipping and returns. And Purple has financing available as low as 0% APR for qualified customers. Experience the Purple Grid and you'll sleep like never before. Go to purple.com slash filmcast10 and use promo code filmcast10. For a limited time, you'll get 10% off any order of $200 or more. That's purple.com slash the word filmcast and then one zero, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, one zero, promo code filmcast10 for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Terms apply. 
Okay, so that uh, that leads us to another blind uh, leap of faith that I took uh, because we got an email and and several hashtag slash tag listeners, quite honestly, were recommending Bakurao. Have you guys seen this? Have you seen this, Dave? I am seeing it this week. It, it is okay. streaming on Criterion and it has been rated as one of the top films of the year. It's Bakurao. Yeah. So... So is it, Jeff? do you, is do it you know what it's about? I have no idea what it's about, nor do I wish to. Nor <laughs> okay. do I wish to. So we got an email from a listener that said, highly recommend seeing this movie, but the less you know about it going in, the better. Yep. And so that's like catnip to me. Yep. You know, that's like, that's, that's all I want to hear. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm watching this immediately, which I did. And now that I know how you feel about it, I don't want to say anything. I don't even want to talk about it, but I'm really looking forward to talking about it with you because holy shit. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am planning on watching it this week, so we can do it on a on maybe what we've been watching next week if you want. Yeah, I, I think you guys are basically mimicking what a uh, what a unsullied podcast, a fully unsullied podcast, is like. It's like, well, I can't. Can't say anything. That's the show, yeah. folks. It's just, I've got air for an what, hour. What? Uh, what? Is, I, I need to know if you liked it or not, or, or if you think I am. How about this? Am I on a good path? Like, given oh, that man, my plan dude. is to blink, watch the blink. movie. I. I have a hard time <laughs> processing this movie. I, oh, that sounds I, good. That sounds like a honestly, recommendation to me. Yeah. Huh. I think, okay, here's what I'll say about this movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't even want to, I don't know. I don't want to <laughs> say anything. It is fucking intense. Uh, it's fucking okay. intense. All right, um, all right. It, it, it's two hours and 20 minutes long, and I think it could be an hour 45 easy. Okay, all right, uh, all right. But, so far, not encouraging. <laughs> You will see some things. Yeah. The actors are. Let's read the list of the cast. Okay. No, yeah. no, I don't yeah. I don't even want to know the cast. I don't even know the cast. I'm gonna go in completely fresh, guys. Yeah. Um so I, anyway. we will have a we will have a discussion next week yes. about it. And right. I'm very curious. I, I I suspect that you will be very glad you watched it. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that is Baccarat, and it is streaming right now on Criterion Channel. And uh, if you want our conversation next week on the podcast to make any sense, you're going to have to watch it too. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I spent seven dollars to watch it. Uh, it is not for the faint of heart. I will say that uh-huh. it is not for the faint of heart. All right. Well, Jeff, I appreciate your uh, your carefulness and discretion. Yeah. All right. Sure thing. All right, let's move it's, on. I, 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 it's funny. It's just funny that like yep. I literally like stayed up last night to watch it for the show, and now I can't talk about it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it is. I'm hoisted on my own petard. Is what uh-huh. has happened. Indeed, indeed. <clears throat> All right, let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs is the part of the show each week where we recommend something we have created. Or uh, something that someone else has created uh, that we have been part of. Uh, and I want to plug uh, a series I'm doing on my personal Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Uh, doing a Back to the Future retrospective to celebrate the 35th anniversary of the film. 
The movie's just been out on 4K as well. Uh, got some great guests, uh, Drew McWeeney, Peter Shreda, Joanna Robinson, to talk about each of the Back to the Future films. And uh, I think these conversations are great. Check them out over at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. The $10 and up uh, tier is how you can get them. That's my weekly plug. How about you, Devinder Hardware? Oh, yeah. I want to shout out the last episode of the Engadget podcast, probably our last official one of the year. Uh, we talked about the biggest winners and losers of tech in 2020. And, uh, you know, surprisingly, this this year was awful in so many ways, but there were actually more winners than we expected. The biggest loser, the biggest loser was certainly Quibi and uh, yeah, a bunch of other stuff. But so many winners. I felt really positive doing that episode. So be sure to check that out. All right. Jeff Canada, your, your weekly plug. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but it is the holiday season right now. As we speak, the holiday season, we're in the thick of it. The holidays are happening. And if you are stuck for a gift for your loved one, for your friend, for even a mere acquaintance that may like the show, may not, who knows? May I suggest a limerick? Uh, You could get a personalized message from your favorite podcaster or if she's not available you could get me to give you a limerick that i make just for you by going to cameo.com slash jeff canada i've done 75 limericks at this point nary a dissatisfied customer among the bunch so many five-star reviews over there on my page uh these are limericks like you hear in the show uh this very show Every week, uh, but this one would be catered, excuse me, catered specifically to you, to your needs. And uh, they're, they're personalized. They're delivered by me via video. And uh, they, make, they make a great gift. I make a stocking stuffer if you can stuff a video into a stocking. So I highly recommend it. Maybe it's too late for, uh, for a holiday gift. Maybe you want to do a New Year's gift. They make great, just uh, I'm thinking about you uh, gifts as well. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. All right. Those are our weekly plugs this week. Uh, and uh, if you want to support this podcast, something I like to call out at this time of the podcast as well, you can go to patreon.com slash film podcast. Um, or uh, if you want to support us for no money at all, it's very, very easy. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, spend 10 seconds, leave a star rating for this podcast or leave a review for us. It's greatly appreciated. Let's get to our review of Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm getting here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike's bring me in. You really want to know? He can communicate with the future. Time travel. That was from the trailer for Tenet, the newest film by writer-director Christopher Nolan. I'm going to read the plot summary for Tenet from IMDb. Armed with only one word, Tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world 
of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. This is a Slash Filmcast you're listening to, and joining us today for our review of Tenet is one of my favorite movie commentators on the internet. You may have seen him in his podcast, or I should say you've seen him in his YouTube channel, uh, as well as his podcast, All My Movies. He also has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dan Merle. Dan Merle, welcome for the very first time to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. It's, I'm so happy to be here. I, Slash Film has been a part of my daily movie life for quite some time. So I'm very happy to be on the podcast today. The circle is now complete. The uh, reader has become the podcast participant, mm. Dan. I love it. And uh, we're gr- we glad to have you on. The time sequence is now backwards and forwards? <laughs> I don't know. So, Tenet, uh, we are going to have a brief uh, non-spoiler section up top. Uh, so let's talk, Dan Merle. What did you think overall of Chris Nolan's Tenant? It's interesting because I, I was here in Arkansas where I live now at the time I was visiting. And so when it came out in theaters, the timing just happened to, uh, ironically, the timing worked out so that I was able to see Tenant in theaters. And I was I was generally positive, but I, I didn't really think that... I th- The story to me was the weakest point um, in a way that really underscored what I think was the... Some of Chris Nolan's Nolan's narrative shortcomings, I guess you might say, from time to time. And I actually revisited it last night, and I, I felt even more the same, which is that it is a display of how incredible of a filmmaker Christopher Nolan is. He's so great that he can take this nonsense... And make it look amazing and feel amazing. <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of the highlight of everything that Christopher Nolan does great and everything that I think are his shortcomings sometimes, particularly when he's sort of driving the story boat. All right. Uh, well, I think that's a, a great summary of what a lot of people feel about this movie. There, there uh, is a literal story boat in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. There's Maybe a, someone actually, several, drives several the story, story boat. boats. I, yeah. I would say it's more like an exposition boat is how I would describe oh, it. But, so many uh, story boats. Yeah. Devendra Hardwar, your thoughts on Tenet? You know, I, I've got a lot of thoughts on this movie. I think it is way too long. It makes very little sense. And it to me, it does represent the apex of all of Christopher Nolan's worst impulses. So I guess the, the opposite of an apex, right? Uh, despite all that, a, a I B- kind of... apex? Is it apex? I don't know. Despite all that, though, I kind of loved it. I think it's it's weird. Like, I feel so many things about this movie because it is fundamentally incomprehensible, right? The, the actual plot of it doesn't make much sense. I'm sure it makes sense in Christopher Nolan's head and we see in the... Uh, you know, in the behind the scenes feature, like they, they had all these storyboards and they had they like, mapped there was it a clear, out. they mapped it yeah, out. They mapped right? it out. There's a clear logic to it. I don't think that is necessarily communicated to the viewer. Um, but this movie is just dazzling at times. It feels like a fever dream of somebody who just saw way too many James Bond movies and had like these ideas percolating in their brain, you know, for decades. Um, I, yeah, not all of it's good. I really wish it was tighter, but you know, we get to the point where it's like um, one of the early sequences and it's in the trailer is just people rappelling up a building wall and it looks amazing. It just looks it's, it's not even including the like we're that's we're not even in the timey wimey rewind stuff. It is just people jumping up a wall doing cool espionage bond shit. And it looks amazing. And it, that moment, too, made me feel like, man, 
we gave Christopher Nolan a lot of crap for his, you know, emphasis on putting this movie on the big screen. But at that moment, I was like, damn, I really wish I was watching this on an IMAX screen because uh, that yeah. job must have looked Not only that, incredible. It's the, dir- it's the director of the previous Batman having the next Batman rappel up a building. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh, man. Um, but uh, I have a lot of things to say, but I think... I I come I come away from this movie just being wowed by his you know filmmaking sensibilities and absolutely I think confounded by what he does as a storyteller. You know, this is a movie mm. that he wrote entirely by himself. His brother Jonathan, like typically, um, I think since Dark Knight, they've been writing things together. And this movie needs maybe a defter hand when it comes to storytelling. There is no real emotional heart to this movie, and there are a lot of other films I can compare this to. Right, like Mission Impossible Fallout. I think is a great um, movie to have in mind because that's also a spy movie that knows it's working within the genre. You know, it's kind of riffing on the genre a bit too, and it knows when to be campy. I don't think this movie ever knows when to have fun. It never really does Mm. have fun. It is a lot of people, you know, talking to each other, um, you know, in one-on-one dialogue scenes early on. It is kind of stilted and boring until things kind of whip up and, you know, Nolan's visual sensibilities can really shine. So yeah, I can understand why people are so mixed on it. I just really love the, uh, the actual visuals of it. All right, Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Chris Nolan's Tenet. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Chris Nolan's Tenet are best summed up in the form of a limerick. You know, maybe we should explain to Dan Merle what what you're doing right now. Oh my goodness, Dan just probably has no no idea that Dave Chen <laughs> runs this podcast like an angry overlord. He has mandated, nay, demanded that every episode of this podcast have at least one limerick in it and it has fallen to me on my shoulders. To make that happen, lest David Chen walk from the podcast, I'm holding it together with poems. I'm literally holding this podcast together with poems. Were it not for the limericks, uh, there would be no slash film cast. So I apologize in advance. I don't want to do it. But Dave Chen has decided that uh, this is the line in the sand that he will draw. Yeah. Well, no, that, that's actually good because I I have a, a demand actually that any podcast that I guest on has limericks. So oh, oh this my is god, a oh perfect combination! Yeah, this is amazing. amazing. Oh, great. Okay, I'll be honest with you. You're the first <laughs> guest to actually <laughs> desire this. So <laughs> finally, Dave, your 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 yes, dark demands have a, a accomplice. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. You ready for this limerick? I'm ready. Okay. Big ideas to inspire and continue to feel exciting and give you emotion. It's got action and not just when the experience is through. Wow, I, I don't know about the I don't know about the meter on that one, mm. Jeff. I felt a little well, bit. Yeah. I, I felt like I, you were going to jump into a Lin Manuel Miranda thing here, Jeff. Yeah, like you were are really you, building you, up. To are it. you saying that the limerick barely makes sense? <laughs> Did in you read it backwards? Yeah, that, yeah. Maybe, it? maybe. I don't know. Maybe we should read it backwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Can you can you try reading it backwards? Just when the experience is through action and not emotion, it's got to feel exciting and give you big ideas to inspire and continue. Well done. Well done. Yes, somebody did it. Somebody actually did the backwards forwards thing, and I applaud you, Jeff. Amazing. <laughs> That's me clapping, Jeff. Thank you. I worked so 
fucking hard on that, Dave. It must have taken you days. Wow. It's a it's a limerick that uh, that makes sense backwards, or at least the lines are backwards. Uh, ish, I guess. Ish. Yeah. Not fucking very easy, man. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I imagine, really that. With Christopher. imagine doing that with a movie, Jeff. Exactly. Yeah, you I understand know. his struggle now, Jeff. Like, yeah. I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But this is like method criticism. You understand. The backwards, the backwards version is how I feel. This is a movie. I, I agree with Davindra. I loved it. I had a blast with this movie. It may have been because by the time I finally got to see it, uh, my expectations w- had lowered <laughs> yeah, a bit. Right, yeah, right. But I really loved this movie. Now, Devinder said it should be shorter. I think it should be longer. I think this movie shouldn't be a movie. It should be a you're, trilogy. You're a bad man, Jeff. Yeah. No, no, this needs to be a trilogy. Yeah, this needs yeah. to be three hour 45 mo- movies, right? Right, because right, okay. What what lands on the cutting room floor, assuming that he ever cared to put it in the movie anyway, which I suspect he did not. But what what we do not have time for in this lickety split, got to get to the next piece of exposition mm-hmm. uh, movie is literally any character, any humanity, <laughs> yes. any emotion or life to these people. And what you get is a movie about robots <laughs> who are there to yes. explain the plot. The, you know, his name is the protagonist. Scene. The yes. main protagonist's name is protagonist. It's, yes. uh, yeah, we're not he looking is, for deep characterization here. It's cutscene to cutscene over here. These yeah. are characters that are there to explain an idea that Chris Nolan had. That's a fucking awesome idea. I mean, it is mm-hmm. mind-blowingly awesome idea. But if, the, if he had just slowed down a second and went, okay, this isn't going to fit in a movie. This yeah. needs to be a mini series or three movies or I, some larger format where we can actually take a breath for one second and let any of this soak in and slow the pace a bit and learn a little bit about who these people are and what they want and how they care. I mean, we have, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to get into spoilers and in this, I don't think this is, but we literally have a woman whose main character trait is that she loves her son and her but husband we find that out, we find that out Man. only because she keeps saying i love my son not because we ever see her interact with him <laughs> in any way she but drops she, him she, off she, at school those couple times well she, all, oh, all she yeah. well yeah so so l- this is how the entire movie is every single person must say how they think about a thing or what they feel because there's no time, no time. There's no time to explain, to show it. It is the only time to have a lickety fast patter type dialogue. And I dig the dialogue. And yes, I think there is a lot of stuff that just washed over me in a, uh, you know, timey wimey sci-fi way that I kind of dug. Like I'm, I'm in the school of, you know, David Mamet, it does. It doesn't matter, you know. Like you don't have to explain everything as long as the movie knows. I'm cool. Like if if it holds together in a logic, it doesn't have to be logic that I completely grok because the movie gets it. The the movie clearly does understand what's going on. And while some stuff is just, you know, brain breaking, it's fun brain breaking. It's a blast to be inside this crazy time loop and have everything explained and everything hold together with some sort of internal logic the fact that there is some internal logic is enough for me but i wish that we had had more movies here so we did i mean there's like there's 
There's like 27 incredible ideas in this movie, each of which could be their own movie, right? And he crams it all in and it's thrilling. It's, it, it is a roller coaster ride. It's like being shot out of a cannon and all the characters are like, there's no time. We're in, in this place and we're talking to this person. We're, and I found out about this crazy plot that's like a backstory that it, it doesn't even matter. We no time. There's no time. We got to keep going. Got to keep going. It's like, if this had been expanded, it could have been like a book series or a, like I said, a trilogy of films or a, a television, HBO limited series, whatever you want. I think there's enough here that it could have been great. And as it is, as this two and a half hour intense experience, it's so dense. It's so concentrated that I think it is kind of wearying. You know, it, it, it it's taxing uh -huh. on the viewer to a point where I think it will turn a lot of people off. I had a great time. I think it is visually spectacular. There's, I mean, I have major problems with things. There's, there's a lot of stuff in it that I think could have been done. I think a, a little bit better way, or and there's a lot of stuff that you definitely see coming, but that's okay. I think ultimately it's one of my favorite Nolan movies, even though it is so flawed simply because the ideas are just so much fun to see. And nobody's working like this. Nobody is attempting this kind of shit. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I'll agree is, with that. No one's trying to make movies the way like Christopher Nolan makes movies. And that's what makes them so unique. And, and almost like, cause I, I, I felt the same way about Dunkirk in a lot of ways that I felt about this movie, which is like, Oh my God, that's incredible filmmaking. And there's not a shred of anything for me to, to hang on to, but there was more in Dunkirk than there was in this one. Yeah. I, I do have a question though. Because I think that a lot of times when you talk about movies and how you experience them, it's good to know how people saw them. So, did you guys see them at home for the yeah. first time? Yes, we all we all watched this at home. That's I have we, a question. I think we all we all bought the Blu-ray as well, we right? All, we all bought the Blu-ray. Which, by the, the way, I want to mention. Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I, I want to mention, by the way, that like the 4K the 4K Blu-ray and regular Blu-ray change aspect ratios as the IMAX screen would have yes. if you had yeah. seen it in IMAX. And it's stunning, it. dude. It. It's stunning. It looks, it looks I amazing. actually like it. So, so two things about that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. That go, ties go ahead, into yeah. to what I was going to ask because yeah. I have a question. The first time you watched the film on, on Blu-ray, yes. did you turn the subtitles on? Yes. No, but I, I, I did what I think is an uh, inadvertent hack. Uh -huh. Which is, I mentioned this before on the show, I listened with noise-canceling earphones. Okay. So I, I literally was, I watched it by myself, and I know not an option for a lot of folks who are, you know, watching with other people, but I listened in with noise-canceling earphones, and I've heard people complain about the, the audio mix, and I had no problems understanding anything because it was so intimate right in my ears. And I, I would highly recommend that to anybody that has the option to do that because I think it, it helped tremendously yeah. for me. Well, the sound mix is... Yeah, it's back. not good. I, I have to say, mm -hmm. I when I saw the thing I was looking forward to seeing the second time was getting the, the 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 subtitles turned on, and I have to say I followed it easier. I was seeing it um, on Blu-ray. I actually I we got I got because I'm in you know I do year end stuff, so I got sent a link to for screener purposes, and I was like, oh okay, I'll watch Tenet that way, and it didn't have subtitles. And I have to say, um, it took a it took a hard to hear sound mix and made it absolutely unintelligible um i feel wow. bad for people that watch that link for for consideration so i That's went to right. walmart at 10 30 last night and got the oh, blu-ray uh thanks for put, doing or, that. yeah well, of course well I, I wanted to know what the hell was going on and i'd seen the movie already <laughs> one time um yeah. and uh it, it does help i have to say it does help <laughs> but i think that uh, that's part of it is um again it, it ties into that christopher nolan thing it's just like he created this oral 
orchestra in his head, but it is sort of with a little bit of disregard at times about whether you can actually hear what people are saying, which is yeah. sort of an important thing with movies. Uh, but but I think he's he's so much going on the the thing that got quoted to me when I reviewed the movie. And, you know, I gave it a positive review, but I had some things just like I just, you know, a lot of people that, you know, particularly because Christopher Nolan has a very passionate fan base. They would quote the movie at me and they would say the line that's in the movie, which is uh, don't try to understand it. Yeah. Just feel, feel it. it. Feel and I'm just like, it. OK, but you can't write that into your movie and then expect <laughs> everybody to just say, oh, OK. I mean, you, you know, can if you have a character who constantly says, I'm the protagonist. Okay, well, that's uh, true. I, I think I think this is the contradiction at the center of this movie and some of Chris Nolan's other films, which is that he is a filmmaker who's working on a grand scale. He shoots uh, generally. There, there's some characteristics we now have of of Chris Nolan's filmmaking, right? One is um, he often shoots with just a uh, single camera, right? So there's almost no coverage. Um, so it's every shot is like pretty deliberate, but like uh, fairly medium or wide. Uh, a lot of the visual effects are captured in camera, and even if they're not in camera. He'll like capture another visual effect in camera and put it into you know the the shot that you're seeing. So there's always this kind of physicality to like all the special feature, or I'm sorry, all the visual effects. Or when they're doing a stunt, like flipping over a truck in the middle of a Chicago street, or whatever the hell they do in this film, they're usually doing some version of it in real life. And so these are kind of some of the things, some of the hallmarks of uh, Christopher Nolan's filmmaking that I think you see um, at the same time super labyrinthine plotting, right? So like, look at Inception, right? Even Dunkirk messed with time. And you have this filmmaker who like really loves playing with time and linear storytelling, but then he also ultimately, at the end of the day, just wants you to feel it. He doesn't want you to think about it. He wants you to feel it. And these two things, I think, are intention with each other. Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. on the one hand, it's like, hey, uh, here's an incredibly complex plot that you are going to want to watch this movie five times to figure out. And also, don't pay attention to any of that. Just feel it, right? It's, right. It's, That's it's the things, weird thing. You know, and that whole goes, thing about talking about emotions is not new. That's what, back when we did honest, the honest trailers for like Christopher Nolan movies. We would point that out. There's scenes like in Interstellar. Yes. Like there's that scene with John Lithgow and Matthew McConaughey where he's just John Lithgow is just quoting Poop's uh, <laughs> backstory to him. He's just like, "You were really good at doing something, and then you didn't get to do it, and now you're really <laughs> mad at it." And then you know, Anne Hathaway's just like, "I'm not going to deny that the prospect of seeing him again excites me." I mean, this is something that Christopher <laughs> Nolan characters do. They feel so hard, and yet the only way it seems like through the writing that could, that that Nolan can explain it is to have the characters literally say out loud what their feelings are. Yeah, yeah, it's that's very another. weird. Another part of the contradiction. Jeff, go ahead, and then I want to read this email we got from listeners. Yeah, these movies, I mean, his movies are very cold in a certain way, and I suspect he probably comes off that way to people. You know, I've, I, I suspect hanging out with Christopher Nolan is not a laugh riot. You know, I don't I don't feel like you are <laughs> welcomed into his home with, you know, hot cocoa and warm warm hugs. You know, he, he seems like a, uh, a, a intellectual kind of cold guy, and his movies are that way too. And, and I think that's kind of okay in a certain sense because they're so, they're so considered and everything is this intellectual exercise. He doesn't seem to have time for it. And I think it all comes back to, for me, I mean, it, it was all right there in Memento, right? The first mm -hmm. one, it's, mm -hmm. it's all there. I mean, that movie has a little bit more heart to it just from, you know, that one character whose name escapes me, um, at least they uh, have names, you know. Yes, yes. Nice. But but I, you know th this movie really isn't about people. It it's it's about pawns on a chessboard, you know? It's about it it is 
these people are abstractions. This is, you know, and, and it's mm-hmm. right there. He's called the it, protagonist. It is the Bond right? hero, the Bond villain, yes. the Bond, you yeah. know, take over the, the world. Bond, yeah, the Bond, yeah. 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 Okay. A uh, couple, couple thoughts. First of all, um, Jeff, you said he would not be, you would not be welcomed into Chris Nolan's house with uh, hot cocoa. Uh, I, I, I would agree with you that it's probably not super like warm and, and huggy, <laughs> but I did see this delightful piece over at Vulture called the best parts of Christopher Nolan movies are all the dainty snacks and drinks. And this uh, article basically catalogs in every single Chris Nolan film, somebody pauses to have a nice little snack, a little treat. And uh, that happens in this movie as well when he gets the coffee right in the um, the espresso right yeah. when they're in the, the going into the thing and uh, he holds the espresso with a little tiny cup in the little dish even though that's like inconvenient <laughs> for him to do that. Anyway, I like when he, <laughs> they're in the restaurant and he orders the food and then the he's like, "Can I take this to go?" And the guy goes, "Certainly not." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, so I wanted to uh, going back to Dan Merle's point. I wanted to read this email we got from David uh, in, from New Zealand, and uh, he says. Uh, in this email from to slash from Kasajima.com, uh, quote, I saw Tenet in August on the main screen at the Embassy Theater in Wellington, New Zealand. This theater sound system was upgraded to 36-speaker Dolby Atmos for the premiere oh, of Peter Jackson's first Hobbit at Jackson's insistence. It is the best in Wellington, and I believe in New Zealand, uh, though the country's only IMAX screen in Auckland is unquestionably better one visually. Uh, anyway, he, he goes on to say that... Um, uh, the sound is straightforwardly masterful at the pure technical level in a way that no one can really appreciate without being punched in the gut by it via a high-level th- high theatrical speaker set. I used to review films for a living, and I haven't missed many of the big releases for the last 15 years, but I have never experienced so much pure volume outside of a stadium rock concert. There were moments, many of them, where I couldn't stop laughing my, uh, at the pure idiotic exuberance of it. I could not actually hear myself laughing, in those moments, my whole body was literally shaking as the sound blasted me back into my seat. My partner, who does not much appreciate the aesthetics of loudness, said afterwards that it was like being physically assaulted. This is only one of the reasons she loathed the film. I had a blast of a good time watching it, but I couldn't argue with many of her criticisms, end quote. Wow. Anyway, That's my experience going to E3 and sitting in any of the Microsoft or Sony press conferences is... Uh, does this volume go up? Then let's make it go up. <laughs> I think Dan if Merle, anyone, yeah, yeah, if anyone ever writes a book about sound design, particularly in Nolan's later films, I, they have to call it the aesthetics of loudness. That is <laughs> <laughs> uh, really appreciate that email from David from uh, New Zealand. And I think it's interesting that Christopher Nolan basically treats dialogue as but one instrument in an orchestra like to create the feeling of seeing a movie right like yeah there are violins in an orchestra but like you don't only hear violins you hear 180 other things and that's kind of how he treats the sound mix of his movies like oh dialogue that's that is but one piece of the puzzle my friend you know like (laughs) well yeah (laughs) this this movie has one scene it's not a huge spoiler or anything but it is one scene if character is on a boat, uh, I believe it's a catamaran, right? And they're, they're, just oh, yes. trying to, they're just trying to sail this boat. I go, why the hell are they sailing a high-speed catamaran while they're trying to have a conversation over microphones, over headphones, where you, you could have this conversation anywhere, anywhere, but it's in the loudest, worst environment to record audio ever. Like I felt like he was just trolling all of us at that point. <laughs> it did feel like a troll. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite is Hear this. That scene. You hear me now? Oh so, man, so, so, yeah. Dan, as the only person of, of us who saw it in the theater, did you feel like the sound mix was uh, hurting you? 
I didn't feel like it was hurting me. No, I, I, the thing, the, the, where I was didn't quite have that kind of a speaker. I did see Interstellar at the TCL Theater in, in Los Angeles, and I, I felt at times like Christopher Nolan. It was like a Halloween 3 situation where Christopher Nolan was trying to kill everyone who was in the screening, like, like <laughs> oh, just yeah, yeah. make our bodies explode. Yeah, um, but yeah. I, I didn't feel it didn't quite have that experience with Tenet. But I will say in the theater, it did feel like, you know, it, it was very big and very bombastic and very uh, you know you could tell he he spends a lot of time on these sound mixes but there were times the boat scene being one of them but many other things where it's like yes I, you know it it just goes into this whole aesthetic of like in the orchestra i think that's a great analogy the the dialogue i think to nolan because he knows what's going on and in many ways like the plot in this film because he knows what's going on he is conducting the orchestra in his head. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yep. that that doesn't always completely translate to you, the peasant in the audience <laughs> who, who doesn't see the music in his head. I mean, that's we're, we're uh, sort along. of how genius works a lot of times. I guess. Yeah, we are we are sort of along for the ride. One thing I want to say before we jump into spoilers is we, we have not talked at all about the the timey wimey, you know, the the backwards going backwards in time stuff. And I have to say, as cool as it looks and it looks very cool it's like how do you create a car chase that is unlike anything you've seen before right how do you create action sequences that are fundamentally fresh and interesting it looks cool none of it makes sense you know and it doesn't I disagree. make agree. well here's the thing like i think and I, I think we're really we're really getting to spoilers yeah so can we yeah. get the spoilers I think all the time you want to get to spoilers but let's i want to get to spoilers. Thought. yeah 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 that's fine hey it's time for our sponsor hello fresh gosh Darn it, I love HelloFresh so much. Just tonight, I cooked for my family because I'm the guy that can cook meals now. I don't have to worry about buying ingredients at the store. I don't have to leave my house and put on a mask and worry about all that by going to the store and getting ingredients and then having extra ingredients that just go bad in the fridge. I don't have to worry about picking the menu for my family. I can just cook a fresh home-cooked meal because HelloFresh offers convenient, no-contact delivery to my doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. And that means a lot to me. This has really improved my life. They cut out the stressful meal planning. I get a really awesome varied menu. I have so much fun picking the recipes week to week because they have so many of them. All kinds of different, flexible for my lifestyle Deliveries. You can change the delivery day. You can change my meal plan preferences. I've got different kinds of meal plan. We can go vegetarian. We can go meat. We can pick individually each recipe that I do week to week. It's so great. Plus, I feel great about it. Over 90% of the ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure peak flavor and freshness. And they are the first global carbon neutral meal kit company. Wow. By skipping the grocery store and using HelloFresh, I'm reducing my food waste by at least 25%. That's amazing. I'm not overbuying. And HelloFresh's streamlined supply chain means produce gets to you faster and fresher even than the grocery store itself. That's amazing. I've tasted the difference. Plus, HelloFresh is committed to giving back. They, so far in 2020, have donated 3.5 million meals to those in need. That's wonderful. I've been using HelloFresh for years and it has absolutely improved my life. It can improve yours too. You just need to go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast80 and use code FilmCast80 to get $80 off, including free shipping. 
That's HelloFresh.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-8-0. And use promo code FILMCAST80 to get $80 off, including free shipping. Okay, so let's do spoilers for Tenet starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Pretty awesome to have the Christopher Nolan-inspired uh, spo- spoiler bumper that was created lovingly by uh, listener and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Thank you for that. Uh, to to bookend this review of Tenet. But go ahead, Devinder, finish your thought. Sure. Well, so I guess I'm, I'm finishing this, the entering the spoilers by talking about Inception here. But Inception is a film that is so complex, right? And it is very exposition heavy. But by, I think by the time I was at my first round of that movie, you understand the idea of dream layers, right? You dive into dream, time slows down, you go deeper and deeper, time slows down in multiple levels. They explain that very clearly. You wake up with the kick. Uh, Interstellar does the same thing with kind of relativity and the idea how time slows down near a black hole and how that affects everybody else. I think it's explained pretty well. Um, this movie, it's basically just like, well, here's a bullet that goes backwards. <laughs> here's a gun I, that shoots shit backwards. And the among the many early scenes where he goes to one person to get one piece of plot and then moves on to another scene to go to another person for one piece of plot, right? The scientist who he talks to is just like, yeah, backwards bullets, okay? Don't think about it. And I felt like that was the case through the entire movie, right? Because eventually we're introduced to these portals where you reverse your your turnstiles. The turnstiles, The turnstiles where you reverse your timiness. And (laughs) I, I get that idea, you know, at the at the basic level. But how do you at one point they're going backwards in time to when another incident happens in the movie. Right. And it's just like, are, are, what did you guys just spend several more days in the yeah, yeah. backwards time to get there? What is so, happening? So co- yeah, co- yeah. A couple, no, thing, co- couple yeah, things yeah, I want yeah, to use. Like you're saying it doesn't make sense. I, I would say that I can agree with you that he doesn't do a great job explaining things. But when you say it doesn't make sense, it makes it sound like you're saying it's not internally consistent, which, by the way, I also agree with. That said, I think yeah. uh, there was a lot of thought put into it, and uh, many scenes do kind of "quote unquote" make sense. I'm, I'm sure, I, there, but there's I agree. A lot I agree with you. The exposition, yeah. the exposition is rough. Uh, that's yeah. what I would agree with you about. I'm sure I mean, there's um, a lot of thought put into it. But they go, guys. they go forward in time. They get into the turnstile. The turnstile makes them go backward in time. So now they're uh-huh. marching backward through their own timeline, the other direction. So everything that was forward that you saw yeah, now yeah, to yeah. them looks backward no, and no, they no. can, and they but can go how, how and longer they... they stay, the longer they stay that direction, the farther back in time they get to go. So there's an entire sequence where they're just like hanging out on a boat, waiting for time to go backwards more mm-hmm. because right, right. they have but... to live through a week, the wrong direction to get back in time a week. Yeah, I know. It's just so uh, understood. Agree 100% with everything you said. But basically, the movie implies, to Devendra's point, the movie implies that like these people are traveling back and forth like years. Mm-hmm. So, like, are they literally staying for years on that ship? Maybe, maybe, right? That's the case. Well, no, but, it's, yeah, in, Robert in those Pattinson, scenes, it's just, it's, just, it's just a couple days. But yeah, go, go ahead. Robert Pattinson's character would yes. have to be, he would go back have, years. at some yes. point, spent yeah, yeah. years traveling years. backwards, which I'm not saying that's not logically inconsistent. It's, I get Correct. it. It just seems like it'd be really boring. Guys, I mean, I, 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 what, what are you going to do? What I'm talking about, guys, by the way, specifically, is the the action, the way the action is constructed, right? Because if you're 
There are points where, you know, characters are in the reverse time, in the car chase where they were in the forwards time. And to me, it doesn't make sense how they kind of interact, right? By the point where um, the protagonist knows he's fighting his early past self. But yeah, I don't I don't quite understand how. Okay, so you're in a fight now. Can't you just stop? Can't you just do something different that wasn't done in the previous no, timeline? No, they explicitly say no because happened, that's happened. the way it happened. What's happened happened. This is this is the time crimes esque kind of philosophy of time travel. Is like you cannot change the past. But at the end, um, Robert Pattinson actually gives quite a lovely summation of the that theme. He says basically mm-hmm. like what's happened happened is not a reason to give up. Uh, or to do nothing. It is an expression in, uh, of faith in the mechanics of the world, right? And so I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's you know, it's definitely like not a Back to the Future style tra- time travel. It's a <laughs> one of those like you can't change anything time travel. Um, but I, I would say Devendra that like there are some things that don't make sense, but I think large a lot of things do make sense. I will where I will what agree doesn't with make you sense? is that, well, well the, the I, I made it said. I made yeah, a YouTube well, I, review where I pointed out like uh, some of the things that like are kind of inconsistent. Um, but I, I would agree that like just because we don't understand it doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't like map it out and have some explanation. Sure, for it, sure. Right? I'm, right? I'm not saying that. Yeah, I think no, like, that's so, the debate is yeah. is, and that's where I kind of run into to the discussion part, and that's why I like discussing things and not always. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like there's a rush to judge one way or the other right now. But I think that's really the discussion to be had with the movie. Is I suspect, and I'm sure many have. If you were to go meticulously through the film and track every single character's movements and every single this yeah. and every, I'm sure that it would, you know, if you go through it five or six or seven or eight times, then you could map it out. And so I think then it becomes the debate becomes like, okay, well, then do you as a moviegoer enjoy doing right. that or do, you, or do you not? You know, because I agree with Inception. It's like Inception has so many different things, but through the screenplay, the first time through, you're able to get the gist. You pick up little things. Mm-hmm. That's the fun mm-hmm. of going back through it. But you get the gist of what's going on. This movie, I feel like you have to watch three or four times before you've got a real big grasp watching the action scene, the car chase. Oh, yeah, this guy's going back this way. And he came from here and he did that. Yeah, and that's where this yeah. thing. And so, but, you know, the debate, I think, then should be, I don't think that one side or the other should automatically discount because, you know, I tend to get a little frustrated by that. I love movies that reward um repeat viewings but at the same time i think if you if you make them too dense it, it, it it's it gets frustrating and sometimes it seems a little needlessly frustrating and i right. think it's sometimes about- there's a, a move to reject that kind of preference from other people because they say like well then you're too stupid for this movie i'm like no i think that it's just maybe it's a little denser than the kind of movie that i sometimes enjoy watching mm-hmm. yeah it's about what kind of viewing experience you want to have right like do you want a viewing experience where everything is all like put together and you understand everything or do you want one where you actually have to work for it to really have it make sense and then it goes the opposite way too like transformers Mm -hmm. films plenty of people yell at me because i'll point out the 57 logical consistencies in transformers age of extinction they say and they'll say shut up don't you know how to have fun (laughs) like it it goes both ways It, it absolutely goes both ways Okay, let's talk about some beyond the approach of the film, though. There are some things that I think are like kind of just straight up screenwriting issues, right? Mm-hmm. So let me let me point out a couple of them. First of all, like the introduction of the Priya character is like pretty silly. I think the idea that okay, this person I found this metal 
from like India. And if it's India, it's you, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just, just like this ludicrous statement of like, you know, that's an like, example of, of a thing that th- this movie does a lot, which is, yes, I don't yes. have time. I don't have time to explain to you. Correct. I don't have time to make these connections. We just yep. need to get this information to you. Here's the kind of the most interesting, coolest way I can get it to you. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I'm going to do it. Yeah. I don't have, t- I don't have time to like make that all. I don't have time <laughs> to build the foundation of all that. I'm just going to yep. place you at the Zenith give you the yep. information and move on. And we're going so fast that you're probably not going to think about it. Yeah. Cause there's too well, many other things she's, I'm she's throwing the most at notorious, you. She's the most notorious weapons dealer in India. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Fine. So that's, just take yeah, me there. There you yeah. go. There you go. Um, I will say, I think Elizabeth Debicki, super talented actress mm. is done dirty in this film. Yes. Um, so I dirty. think it is a thankless role that she's given. And she also has possibly one of the worst lines I have. Li- I'm not even exaggerating. One of the worst lines I've ever heard in my entire life. And that is as follows. It's something like, um, like Robert Pattinson says, said something like, yeah, like if, if the future people succeed, it's going to mean annihilation, the destruction of everything on planet Earth ever, all of history, blah, 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 blah. And then Elizabeth Debicki chimes in and says, including my son. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That is pretty ridiculous. It's just like, it's just like, that's actually upsetting that she said that because yeah, it's like, yeah. you can't like, that's how focused you are on this kid that we basically haven't met in the movie, by the way. It, it, uh, it insults her intelligence too, because she's sort of like, wait a minute. <laughs> You mean my son is in danger too? <laughs> it's incredible. That, so you're telling that, me the entire universe will uh-huh. explode uh-huh. and my son is in trouble? <laughs> oh my God. We got to do something about this. Okay. So Dan, you are saying, or 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 have we? Dan or is pointing we? to the fan theory that Neil is actually Elizabeth Debicki's son, right? Like Robert Pattinson's character is actually Elizabeth Debicki's son. Um, Dan, do you believe in this? You you have analyzed fan theories, fan culture online, obviously. Well, do I've, you believe in this theory? I don't know if I'd say analyzed. Um, I, I Listen, let me go through it eight or nine more times, and I'll get back to you on my thoughts. I, it just seems to be a very prevalent theory. Amongst, that would be and a and much and more I'm, interesting movie, right? I'm sure, yeah. there are, I'm sure there are a lot of clues. I did find a couple of, because I didn't really pick up on that at all the first time I saw it, and then I heard that theory. I will say that they threw in a couple of glances a couple meaningful looking glances, uh, particularly mm-hmm. on Robert Pattinson's part, that I think very much support that theory. But uh, uh, here, here's yeah. here's the biggest support of that theory, in my opinion, is that Robert Pattinson uh, dyed his hair for this movie, which he usually does not do. So why would he dye his hair unless he was trying to be more blonde, uh, like Elizabeth? The, the, the old Biggie's telltale character. hair dye. But, I see. But, yes. but, but I think, uh. but I think actually, it doesn't make sense, Dan. Be, uh, uh, no. To me, this theory is hilarious because it's basically this is a theory that will justify the incredibly poor character development in the film. Right? It's like <laughs> the fact that she is the her whole focus is her son, and it's like we as the audience need to justify that all the focus is on this character that we have no idea what that character is like. So the only way that we can justify it is if that character is actually another character. Um, it's so one- funny that she <laughs> constantly talks about how much she loves her son and she's never around him. Yes. She just the- would rather not. I mean, listen, I'm a parent. I get it. <laughs> I, I get it. You love your kids. You don't always want to be around them, but she's never around them. You I'll know? speak in defense of Debicki here, which yes, she did yes. say that Kenneth Branagh was keeping her away from yeah. the kid because that <laughs> right. was like the only part time of she could thing. see him was yeah. at the school like was, was when school. briefly yeah. during yeah. the pickup so, um, so yeah. the, the the reason people think this series is true is for what I said and also um Neil 
is Max, like if you spell Max, Elizabeth Debicki's son's name, Maximilian, the French spelling, which is someone as psychotic oh as Sator might do. Oh my God. Um, Maximilian, spelled backwards, begins with Neil. Also, Robert Pattinson's hair is blonde. Um, but uh, the, yeah. the, the biggest the biggest thing against this theory, Dan Merle, is that uh, he doesn't seem to have any emotional attachment to Elizabeth Debicki at all. And in fact, they say goodbye off screen. And that fact is pointed out by Elizabeth Debicki herself. She says, mm-hmm. oh, I guess Neil already left. Oh, well, I guess I'm never going to see him again. It's like, I mean, huh. to be fair, <laughs> no one really has any emotional attachment exactly. to anybody throughout the whole movie. So they're just Christopher know. Nolan characters, you know, so it's it's fine. It's all fair game. He would probably hate Kenneth Branagh quite a bit. You know, like maybe a little more if that theory was actually true. Like, I, w- I would love that idea of the movie, by the way, if that was the ultimate oh shit twist and not that he apparently went back and died, you know, so they could get through the gate. Which well, is there any a clue? little anticlimactic. Yeah. Is there any clue in the little coin thing that he has tied to his bag? <laughs> because that seemed like, no. you know, yeah, in the sequel, know. we'd find out what that thing was. Yeah, you know? that thing. So that, 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 look, look. I would say, by the way, that one thing that's interesting about the film is like, I think that uh, there there is no love story really between the protagonist and Elizabeth, the biggest character. Um, the closest thing there is to chemistry in this movie is between John David Washington and Robert Pattinson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I thought, and I, I made a YouTube review of Tenet and I complained that I felt like there was no emotional core to this film, right? Like in Interstellar, it's all about... Matthew McConaughey trying to get back to his kids. Mm -hmm. And in The Prestige, it's all about Christian Bale trying to get back to his kids. And in Inception, it's Mm. all about Leonardo DiCaprio trying to get back to his kids. I get it. And in this movie, it's the protagonist not trying to get back to his kids. Elizabeth Debicki is, but like the protagonist isn't. The but somebody commented that the emotional core is the relationship between Robert Pattinson and John David Washington, you're really supposed to feel it at that last scene. Dan Merle, let me ask you this question. Yeah, yeah. Two, and a half, two and a half hours and like those, I, that like 38 seconds at the end is like, oh, there's the emotional core. Yeah, I do All that stuff say, that we didn't get a chance to see. That Dan, last scene is, no, that last scene is the culmination of a relationship between those two that is absolutely not depicted in this film. Mm-hmm. But, right. but I, I did feel, and it was brilliant, particularly in John David Washington's part, it was brilliant acting. But I remember seeing that and being like, I wish I had seen more of that connection between these two in the actual movie, because in the movie, they're like co-workers who are just there to kind of get from one plot point to the other. Like, I I, I guess the closest we got was like the vodka diet Coke thing. Um, There was a little moment of friendship or whatever. But there's there's one more moment where they like do this cool handshake thing. He's like, I'm your bro. And I was like, that seems really intense. And then later on, I was like, that that was kind of like that was the one point that was supposed to galvanize the whole thing. I don't get why John David Washington was so emotional. It's like Robert Pattinson should be the one who's emotional because he's like experienced the whole like friendship with this Mm -hmm, guy. mm -hmm. John David Washington just met this guy like that version of John David Washington, at least. Although John David Washington in that scene does know that Neil gives his life. Yeah, I think that would be pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I wish that we had had more of that actual relationship between the two of them because I I love that moment at the end and, and it just... I wish they had gone backwards and the jumped in the in the turnstile and gone backwards back through the film and like had a bromance mm-hmm. backwards through the movie and then we get back to the end and it's oh okay now that makes more sense. This is I why mean, it needed to be a trilogy. This is my point. Is like I feel like there's so much here. Just let it breathe a little bit. Show us some character. Get us. Th- this world is so full of content. You know, like it doesn't need to be crammed in two and a half hours where yeah. we're at breakneck speed constantly. 
I, I kind of hear that, Jeff, but I have to say the reason I say this movie should be shorter is because I don't I don't think all those ideas actually need to be explored, right? The, the core of it is the future is trying to obliterate the past. Timey wimey shit, you know? Like <laughs> let's let's focus on that. The first half an hour of this movie, after the like really great opening sequence, I thought that was really it really oh, evoked like incredible. Dark incredible. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Would have loved to see on IMAX. Like yeah. here's the thing. I kind of hope they re-release this movie like yes. once things are safe. I would in a heartbeat go see this in IMAX. Um, I don't remember who pointed out to me that this would be like uh, if they did that, it would be like one of the first like inverted releases yep. where like it comes yep. out in theaters, then home video, and then in theaters again. Um, <laughs> and it'll, so it'll that... probably do huge business if they do re-release it, like the business they kind of lost. Um, but uh, to, to what I'm saying, like I think the first act of this movie is just kind of a mess because it is John David Washington just going to Michael Caine for five minutes. It's going to the scientist for a couple minutes. And some of that right. could have been cut down to like one one character. Or something like 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 one quick download. I keep thinking of how um, you know I I keep thinking of like Mission Impossible Fallout in conjunction with this movie because that movie is so smart about how it kind of plays with the spy genre and the spy motif and everything. It's it it's winky, right? It knows it knows you know a lot of this stuff is just silly. So it has that great yeah. opening sequence and it has a point where you know that's a movie where you know Tom Cruise is chasing a villain in a helicopter and they have a fist fight on a cliff <laughs> and it's so campy, but it's so fun. Whereas I feel like this movie could have done some things like that as well. Like, and uh, talking about other spy movies, Elizabeth, the Becky in a uh, man from uncle compared to this mm, movie. Yeah. Like I just Great. think of so many other yeah examples where similar things have been done here. Dan Merle, do you agree with Devendra? Like that this movie kind of lacked the fun of other spy films. Um, I, I think it, it, I think Christopher Nolan. It had Christopher. It had Chris Nolan fun in it. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan's I, version. How can we make Nolan. this as complex as possible? <laughs> exactly. I think that's yeah. kind of fun for him. It's like it's like I know what the audiences are going to love. They're going to love disassembling this movie and putting it back together. I think that that's you know he's like he's the kid that would ask for puzzles for Christmas, which is fine. We need the kids that ask for puzzles for Christmas because they do all the cool things. Yeah, uh, I just think that uh, you know my, your mileage may vary. Because it's not even so much fun. I, I just I think it needed more of that human element. But at the same time, when you look at the movie, I mean, the three, uh, the four of us are sitting here talking about, oh yeah, this, this, oh this was this. But then when we come back to it's like, I mean, I like the movie, but the, yeah. And then I think that that's <laughs> that's the the weird gift that Christopher Nolan has is there totally. could be all of these shortcomings or whatever, but at the same time, it's still obviously such a great piece of work as a director that you almost, you know, for me, it's, I, you know, I can't be like, oh no, don't go see Tenet. Cause yeah, it's like, no, yeah. because that's some of the craziest stuff I've seen in a long There's time. There's nothing else like this. Yeah. 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 yeah you start I, that movie in, in this massive auditorium with literally hundreds of extras that are there to just be sitting while an action sequence happens in their laps. You know, it's like, you are the set dressing that I put in this action sequence, human beings. I mean, what a metaphor for this entire film. But I mean, you, immediately I was like, oh, fuck yeah, come yeah, on. I yeah. mean, that, like, yes, I'm in good hands, right? This is an audacious filmmaker who does stuff like this. That sequence is 
almost almost unnecessary in this movie. I mean, it's, it's, it's incidental, right? You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and yet it's like it would be the set piece in a lot of other films. It's I, I think it's true. It's true of like also uh, Dark Knight Rises. He mm-hmm. had the same thing. It kind of opened with this spectacular set piece in the air with the airplane getting ripped the, the wings off and everything. And it's like they could have just not had that scene in the movie. <laughs> you and it would have been just so fun. hard. Yeah. Really. Yeah. You don't have to go so hard. Yeah, I, I think that's the what's idea, so fun. Way, you know, yeah. is that yeah. um, imagine because because no. And you know he loves the IMAX and he loves the IMAX audience. I think a big part of that opening scene was you would be in that gigantic auditorium, right? Mm, that looks almost yeah. exactly like the one from the opening scene. There's going to be some weird sort of like almost almost like mirroring, you know, of you feeling like you're a part of that. I don't know. I I, I just kept imagining myself. I miss my goddamn for, however tall that IMAX screen is in New York. Like I miss yep. seeing so many things on that. This would have been so perfect. I, I will say, though, I highly, highly, highly recommend. I, I was ready to just completely be angry at both of you for forcing okay. me to buy the so, Blu-ray. So, so basically, we told Jeff Kanata on Twitter, like, you got to buy the Blu-ray because yeah. uh, it, it's going to give you the best experience possible. And Jeff Kanata does not like physical media. Um, Dan oh, Merle, I'm no. buying media. I've in evolved general. beyond it. I've evolved yeah. beyond it. Dan Merle, you're a physical media fan, I assume. Yes. I, my whole podcast is literally about the, the the Blu-ray sitting on my shelf. I am a yes. I am a devout follower of physical media because uh, <laughs> it, I sound like somebody it. that it's does there. not have children. Um, <laughs> I, I have no kids. Nobody there messes with it. It's in the closet yeah. downstairs. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no. But, uh, for things like we were watching a. a uh, Mara, my partner, she was watching Star Wars the other day and she had a pre-existing digital copy from somewhere else and she noticed that they McClunkied it. Um, you know, she bought it before they put the McClunky thing in and they went in yeah. and they just swapped it out. Um, you know, and she's like, I, did, I wanted the non-McClunky version. Too bad because you don't <laughs> you don't own the movie. No, I'm, I'm a I am a very strict uh, adherent to physical media. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to buy until they stop making it. <laughs> Yeah, and no, I respect that. I respect that tremendously. I really do. I just it's just not conducive with my my right, life right, at right. this point. That's the, the, the one downside with your current plan, though, Jeff, is your Internet goes down and you are a monk all of a sudden. True. <laughs> but also, I also have no job. I have, you know, my Internet goes down. There's bigger problems than yeah, my there's movies. Bigger problems. There's bigger problems. Uh, so, so, Jeff, yeah. What ha- describe your journey with this. So I, with this. I purchased the 4K Blu-ray and um, I'm here to tell you. I do not regret that one one iota. Uh, yes. The thirty five bucks I spent, uh, it, it was glorious. I mean, yes. the aspect ratio changes, which we should say. I don't think we've mentioned this episode. It only happened on the physical media, right? There is no digital version that includes mm-hmm. those IMAX inspired aspect ratio changes. And when they happen, it is something. It is even on my, you know, my tel- my television is not an IMAX screen, obviously. You, you but have it a pretty is... big TV, Jeff. Let's uh, let's be clear here. I did. I didn't watch it on that one. I watched it you, on. You didn't my... watch it on the. So Jeff has an eighty inch, but you watched it in what your OLED? I'm watching on my OLED with for HDR. Okay. I wanted an HDR experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yes, and I had to watch it in my office by myself, uh, not disturbing the family. Anyway. Uh, too much information about me. The the point I'm making is even on my what 42 or 47 or whatever this one is in my office, um, it was really powerful. And the aspect ratio changes. It it feels like more than that. Like you get a quality to the mm-hmm. film changes. Well, it's and, an IMAX film, yeah. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. There's actually more information. It seems there. And I also want to say, you know, in deference to Dan and everybody here, uh, that. It is 
really uh it's been a while since i put a blu-ray into anything <laughs> you have to really dust off that port yeah it has been a while i mean i used my new playstation 5 to watch this mm, for the, nice. the 4k blu-ray and holy moly it's like oh yeah that's how 4k is supposed to yep, look exactly. it is, i know it is jaw dropping it is, is jaw dropping so i actually um I I was doing a bunch of stuff on my Patreon page and I did a YouTube review last week. So like I really needed to watch it as soon as possible. And somebody, uh, Danish, actually a friend of the show, uh, hooked me up with a digital copy of uh, the movie. And because uh, my Blu-ray was going to be delayed. It was supposed to get there on Tuesday. It was going to be delayed. So I started watching the digital copy and halfway through the film, 9 p.m., uh, somebody rings the doorbell. That's my 4K copy of it. So I'm like, okay, we're stopping the movie. They say, sir, we're- sir, I have your 4K Blu-ray. Please stop. Please stop the-, the digital media. We it was Christopher Nolan. Blu- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we pop the 4K Blu-ray in, and I'm shocked not only at how much better the image looks, but also that the aspect ratio changes unlike the digital version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's really amazing when the aspect ratio changes. I mean, it is done in the way he does it in all his movies, which is sequences are shot that way, but also like just shots inside sequences to sort of give them a different quality or, right. or emphasize so, something largely in a really like dramatic establishing way. Shots and yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's worth it. I'm telling you listener, I, if you were like me and a little doubtful, I mean, I, like I said, I was ready to get mad at you guys for forcing me to do it. Cause I was like, <laughs> I'm going to spend 35 bucks on this. It's going to sit on my shelf. I'm not, eh. but no, I'm, I'm really glad I did. I will say I loved every single set piece in this movie. Opening opera sequence, yeah. the the plane crashing. In. Okay, so th- I had a whole journey with the plane crashing in, but like there's a sequence in the uh, where he fights his backward self in the turnstile area. That was apparently the first scene they shot to figure out the first sequence they shot in the movie to figure out like how to do this whole inversion time thing. Um, the plane crashing into the building, which I, I'll, I'll say like the first time I watched it, I was like, hey, this is pretty impressive. Like. Uh, it looks like they actually they, they did really that. looks like they actually plane, crashed the a plane. building. Yeah and, yeah. and I was like, that's pretty good. Okay, yeah. I, I see you're one up in yourself from the uh you know the other movies that you've done, Chris Nolan. That's pretty cool. Then to show you that entire sequence again backwards <laughs> later yeah. on, I'm just like, oh my gosh, Chef's Kiss, this is freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, there is a car heist sequence in this movie, uh, that's also pretty spectacular. Uh they shot in Tallinn, Estonia. Because apparently that was the only place in the world that would allow them to shut down an entire freeway. Uh, and so that they, they went where they could shut down the entire freeway. It looks great. And the only uh, set piece sequence I wasn't as huge of a fan of is I wish Christopher Nolan would stop making action films in which uh, massive crowds of faceless, nameless people fight each other uh, on a massive scale. I agree uh, with is, that. I think I know. think it was it was it would have been cooler to just have that be a small group i mean i guess he wants you to feel the scale of this time war this is but, yeah 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 but i i think it would have been much more interesting and you know you would have been connected to it if it had felt a little more intimate and you would have been a, with, with just a few people because ultimately you are just with a few people when they get down into the right you know the cave there but, but it's like i don't even know who they're like fighting against it's it's like sator's men obviously but it's just like you don't know who any of them are. It's, it's so it's. But there's a couple uh, of really fucking amazing. Like the idea that there are trained 
time <laughs> fighters, you know, right. that like yeah. they time, they have their watches synchronized so they can blow up this tower twice, one at the bottom and one at the top. <laughs> and as they meet, you know, as their timelines crisscross, it's like, that's the fucking ideas in this movie that are just so juicy and fun. It's like, it's, it's, it's a comic book, you know, it's, it's the wildest pulpy fun that you can have with these crazy ideas. It's super cool. I love the entire, uh, I mean, I, I love some of the ideas, but I thought that, yeah, it's kind of a waste that a lot of these people, we don't even know who they are. Um, but Jeff, it reminded me of a video game, like Call of Duty. When totally. You, know, you go, yeah. like, it's like, hey, uh, we got people like, people with regular ordinance, inverted ordinance. There's going to be inverted yeah. antagonists. Regular, select your loadout. Select your loadout. <laughs> it's, so, it's very video gaming. Dan Merle, i got to ask you, like, what did you think of the final sequence? Did it work for you? To me, it reminded me mostly of like Inception Final Fight at the snow lair, which I felt like uh, wasn't really my favorite one of that movie. What did you think? Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way. I, I think that there had been so many fun things that were done already with the time inversion on a smaller scale with the with the car chase, the, 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 the highway chase particularly, and how so those good. events crisscrossed each other. And I actually could pretty much track that. I think that... By the time we got there, yeah, it, it seems like a paradox, which I guess is fitting for this movie. But but by the time we got there, it, it really didn't hit me that hard because it just was sort of, I hate to say, it, but kind of empty spectacle other than the fact that it looked cool. I didn't really know or care about what was happening to the huge hordes of people. It was more just like, okay, we're, we're, we're at the end. So we're, this is yeah, the part of the yeah. movie where we get to the end and there's the climax. It's I, And I think it does go back to that fact of, when you don't cultivate the kinds of personal connections to different characters necessarily, I think when you have a huge finale like that, but it feels like there's not a whole lot of stakes because, you know, if, if let's say John David Washington's character had died, the protagonist had died there. Like I would have been, it would have been surprising, but it wouldn't have been like, Oh my God, I love that guy. Like as if you had killed <laughs> right. Leonardo DiCaprio at the end of inception, you're like, no, he was getting back to his kids. What's going to so happen close. to him? Oh, he was so close. Like it would just be like, Oh wow. That's surprising. And then Robert Pattinson would have gone up anyway. And I'm like, okay, and that's it. Uh, so I, I do feel like that was probably the least effective scene, uh, although I'm sure it was probably technically the most difficult scene right. to, yeah. to orchestrate. It was very impressive on that, on that scale. It's yeah. weird how because of the shortcomings of the uh, script, seemingly major characters are introduced as almost an afterthought. I'm thinking, for instance, of Aaron Taylor Johnson's character of Ives, like, there was no uh, setup for that character. Just he, he's entering just the general movie. guy. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have a name. Come on. He enters the movie like one hour in and basically becomes like a main character through the rest of the film. Is Oh, and- that, that sequence at the end, <laughs> the very end when they're like divvying up the pieces of the, of the thing. Right. And it's he's like, like, they're uh, like, you're a like, major character at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sitting there. You're like, Oh shit, this is like the third wheel of the of the tricycle, you know? He's like, this is important dude. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's news to me. Um, <laughs> you know? There's a character. I, 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 called- I, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Divindra. I was just gonna say I felt the same thing when they just ran into Hamish Patel. Just like, oh yeah, this guy, oh, yeah. this dude, he's just hanging out here. He's a major part of our entire pro- like plan right now, but uh, he's just chilling. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, there's a character called Wheeler, um, mm-hmm. played by Fiona Duroff, who like gives. I, I did like her. She just starts. First of all, you're introduced to this character. You have no idea who she is. Then she just starts hurling exposition at John David Washington's character. You're like, hey, um, you have to put on this suit, you know, because you can't touch other things when you're inverted. And he's like, oh, we don't have time for that. You don't have time for this plot mechanic you just introduced? (laughs) Well, and they also start that conversation literally by she's like, 
uh, okay, no defining details, nothing that says who any of us, so we can never tell who the other person is. I'm like, well, that's a way to make sure your characters never get to know each other. Like, that's yeah, a very yeah. way to get to the cold, <laughs> hard exposition that this scene needs. <laughs> but I, it was pretty cool when she's like, you are inverted, the world is not. And then they open up the door and it's just like, oh, kind of a cool moment, even though like this... From a screenwriting perspective, pretty, pretty. Oh, well. dude, that that part where he walks out and yeah. into the world backwards for the first time. It's just so fucking awesome. It's really and I, cool. I love how she's like, OK, the first rule is don't touch your real self. And he's like, OK, I'm going to get in a car and drive right to my real self right now. This immediately. <laughs> I know? like how I like how uh, this movie and Time Cop both have a rule where you cannot touch yourself uh, in the past. But uh, Time Cop is the one of the two films to actually pay that off, which I, I would not have I would not have predicted. Also, and I just random... realized that there are two scenes because I got confused. There are two scenes where he talks to a scientist who comes out of nowhere and gives him a bunch of rules. Because yeah. you were talking about the second time that happened. Yes. I was talking about the first time it oh, happened. Oh, damn, damn. I'm traveling yeah, backwards through this conversation. That's, that's I feel like you could do a whole movie just with backward objects. Like the whole the whole beginning yes. of the movie is like bullets go backwards in time. I'm like, yeah. dude, this is like the lost room or something you awesome. Give me more like of these that. objects, yeah. the objects go backwards in time. That's fucking awesome. It's like, no, 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 no. That's just a that was just a setup for what the real prop plot is. And I, I feel like that's I mean the whole you know in inverted time, hot is cold and cold is hot. And it's like, well, shit. That seems like a pretty awesome movie, too. Like, let's talk about that movie. And it's just this one-off little throwaway moment where he doesn't burn up. He just gets real cold. It's like, like it's a, couple, a couple of mind-bending yeah. things to think about, by the way. So I was watching, like, watch a bunch of, like, YouTube videos about this uh, movie, including What Culture had a video about it that actually is pretty good. I think it lays out the entire timeline. Um, but they pointed out that, like, uh, at any if you're traveling back in time, if you're, like, invert yourself, at any given point in that process... There's three of you, right? Mm -hmm. There's yep. you moving forward in time normally. There's the part of you that's inverted. Then there's the part of you that, after being inverted, got back into the turnstile to go back into normal time, right? So there's, at any given point, there's going to be three. Every single time travel incident creates three versions of yourself, none of which can interact, which is like, mm. yeah. Uh, so I feel like it, you can't really do that much time traveling because every single time you go back, you're creating three of yourself. Sounds like somebody's uh, not feeling it. Somebody's thinking it. <laughs> yep. Also, don't here's try another to understand thing. it. Here's mm. another thing. Uh, don't you can't eat food when you go back in time because the <laughs> the, the food like the non inverted yeah. food you, it's like it's like breathing non inverted air. It's like right, uh, right. it has the same entry. It has reverse entropy, which is by the way like. Imagine like to, watching someone pass food. Poop back up in your asshole. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's correct. Poop goes back up. You, the food comes out you, of your you mouth. You sit on a toilet and you suck poop into your asshole. That's how you eat. <laughs> that's correct. Thanks. That Thanks. is a part of the movie that they that's, did not that, explain. That is a canonical part of Tenet, is correct. That needs to okay. be a that needs to be a deleted scene. Closing question, Demerol. Closing question. Uh, as we wrap this review up, uh, where does this rank in the Christopher Nolan pantheon for you? Like uh, upper tier Chris Nolan, middle of the pack, or uh, one of the worst Chris Nolan films? Oh, man, that's tough because a lot of Nolan's movies over time drastically sort of move up and down. Like Prestige, the first time I saw it was like, oh, yeah, I like that. That was good. And and now it's, it's up there for me in like the yeah. top two or three. Yeah, top two or three, same, yeah. Prestige. I mean, it's tough when you say like the bottom tier of Nolan movies because they're still usually really good movies. Like I, I the worst thing I could probably say about a Christopher Nolan movie is like that I thought it was forgettable, which is kind of how I feel about like 
Insomnia is a movie that like I like, but like nothing stands out. Like remember that great Chris Nolan moment? And it's just like, it's a, it's a good thriller, but so I, I mean, thought you were going to say the worst thing I could say about a Christopher Nolan movie is it's The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dark Knight Rises has definitely not held well with me. But even yeah. that, it's not like it's not terrible. It, it sort of suffers from some of what this movie does, which is right. an abundance of stuff and but no real connection. Um, I would say it probably falls in the bottom is uh, the bottom ish of the middle tier. But at the same time, it's so amazing as far as like he's gotten all the resources now and what he's able to accomplish visually as a director, it's hard for me to say like, oh, well, it's uh, the bottom of the smography. I don't know. It's it's so hard. He's almost got like a special case. Like it's like by what metric do you want to measure it? Um, Story wise, near the bottom, visually near the top. So, you know, I'll put it in the middle. Can I ask you guys like your Dan Merle, your favorite Chris Nolan movie at this point? Like if you had to name a favorite, which one would it be? Every, I'm curious what your guys thoughts are as well. I, like I say, Prestige has really moved up for me over the years. And and, uh, you know, I love Dark Knight and Batman Begins and and all those films, but I really, really, really like the Prestige. I mean, it is it, it be, is so good. It would be like Prestige, Inception, or Memento. Those would be like top three. Yeah, Memento and kind is of very high around. for me too. Yeah. yeah. No, no Dark Knight on the on the podcast though. No I Dark Knight. Yeah, I, I mean, love it. it. It's it's a really yeah. good movie. Yeah, yeah. It's great. I mean, for me, it maybe actually Inception because I think Inception did the core, kind of the core idea of what he was trying to do here is his own spin on, you know, spy shit and doing it in a really unique and interesting way. Inception is a movie that just, the fact that it just throws you into that world and slowly explains things and so like very confident about it. That was something I felt pretty lacking here. And uh, I'll be honest, like I think Interstellar is a great, great film. Like, uh, the review, like, I don't know if people are reconsidering that or not, but I that movie holds a special place in my heart, too, just because it who else is doing that crazy sci fi in space sort of story right now? That's what I always love about him. Right. He's taking these big swings that nobody else is doing. They may not always connect, but, man, I, I got to appreciate the ambition. Jeff, can any, any other thoughts on your I honestly your think it probably is either Memento or The Dark Knight. But I also think Batman Begins is it's good. Really good. It's mm-hmm. really, really good. Um, yeah. I need to go rewatch, uh, Interstellar now that I have children. I, I actually, that just movie gotta, is hard to sit, sit yeah. through now. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta, I just got a text from a friend who was like, they were right. They were right. I <laughs> just right. rewatched it after I, having I, kids. I think, I, I think I got the same text, Jeff Kanaw, from the same ah, person. Um, yes, but yes. anyway, uh, so that's going to bring us to the end of our review of, uh, Tenet. Uh, and uh, we are going to uh, talk about what we're going to be reviewing next week in a bit and also stick around uh, for the After Dark later on this week. Dan Merle is going to be joining Devinder Hardwar to discuss The Mandalorian Season 2, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Uh, Dan Merle, got to thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, you can find Dan Merle's work on his YouTube channel. Just search for Dan Merle. You can also find his podcast, All My Movies with Dan Merle, wherever podcasts can be downloaded. And check out his Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dan Merle. Dan Merle, it's been a pleasure, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. I've never heard my name so many times consecutively, but it's it's I appreciate the plug. And I and, and thanks and I love talking about it's one thing that I've missed with all the isolation and 
kind of moving on to do my own thing is having these kinds of talks about movies like Tenet and this kind of discussion. So I miss it. So thank you guys for giving me my fix. You are welcome you. anytime yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, huge fan of your work. Um, and definitely, if you're listening right now uh, and you like thoughtful commentary on movies and what's happening in the movie industry, check out Dan Merle's work. Well, uh, unlikely if they're listening now that they like that. I mean, it's actually, you're right. That's a good point. Um, so next week on the podcast, we are going to be discussing Wonder Woman. It's going to be out on HBO Max. Um, so Wonder Woman is going to be our main review. We're going to follow that up with an After Dark talking about Soul on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so that is what is in store for you on the Slashroom Cast. Until then, we hope you have a happy and safe holiday. Be well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And we'll see you later. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for